And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Well, who's a big fat liar? That's me. Welcome into <laughs> Rates and Barrels. We are back. I am back. I'm like, hey, we're not gonna be. I'm not gonna be here. Blah 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 blah. And I just didn't pay attention to the schedule. The very last show, which is at the end of the season, so I'm not gonna complain because I get to talk to all of you mm. wonderful people. Surprise, Rates and Barrels, and I get to see that face right there. I get to see Eno, who, as I told people online, and many other did. Love this guy. Love this guy. The article came out about you, and we had the good old love fest, which, you know what, man? I'm all here for because there's so much <laughs> negativity that floats out there. I even did one of those kind of tweets where I was just like, hey, man, I just want to thank everybody for hanging out with me. I'm in a lot of places. Uh, there's no way everybody can like me, and I try not to put all the same takes, and I've really tried to outsource my stuff in different capacity. And one thing that's been so unique is this show with you specifically, you know, has been, I think, one of my best ventures into being something different than sometimes what I am. And you've you've made me better. And I, but my whole point was like, I was thanking people for following along and not completely hating me. And there was a big love fest there for me. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. You put out the article, same thing. And it's deserved. And you had to really let your guard down a little bit to let someone right really get into like the shoes that you play on the opposite I mean, end. He of. was he was contacting people from my high school. <laughs> so, oh yeah, my God, that was nerve wracking. Really? Yeah, yeah, he he was calling some people. But um, you know, I really appreciate the the job that Brian Roth did over at Good Beer Hunting. It was very nice of him, and uh, he treated me well in the, in the piece and. Uh, you should uh, check him out. If you like stats, you probably do. If you're listening to this and beer, uh, he is the preeminent uh, sort of journalist, data journalist when it comes to beer. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's been uh, it was been a pleasure. It was a pleasure working with him. I worked with him in different spots and uh, it was very nice of him to, to write that piece. What so. an all time line you just said. Pre uh, premium data analyst for beer. That's the world yeah. we live in. That's an amazing world we live in. The that was there. Were, I mean, there was once a time that I wanted to be that. I had the the the, the beer data website, beer graphs. Yeah. And, uh, unfortunately, you know, one thing that is uh, interesting about beer and other places and data in general is that, and it's it's really complicated. Uh, is that is just that who owns the data, uh, who gets to profit off of it. How much right do we have uh, to that data? Uh, that data is often born off of individual consumers. How much right do they have to it? Mm. You know, there's a lot of uh, complicated things. And those things are complicated even in baseball. If you think about it, like um, biomechanical data, I really would love to have more of it. Uh, but uh, think about the, the process of creating biomechanical data is, is a player just being. Mm. <laughs> it's just like moving through space and and here i am being like i want that data give it to me you know it's like i deserve that data well it's it's complicated it's about a, a person's muscles and and how his body works and like am i really entitled to that and you know how much control do they have over over that so uh Bigger worldly anyway, questions a, very ai type of thing that was like, a, yeah. that was a little bit of digression but uh, <laughs> now yeah. we're going to talk about ai here on the thing you know i mean it, i agree and but also those are the questions and why you know you are who you are and what makes you great well about what i know you do. and that's why beer graphs died in the end was that the data we were getting from untapped uh, untapped was bought by a data concern and they wanted the data and so they turned down the API and mm. we no longer had that, that hose of data. And without that, then, I mean, what are you, what are you cutting up? What, what you, you, you know, what were our leader awards going to be? So, yeah. 
Uh, you know, that was that was the difficulty there. Well, we uh, will try to make it not difficult for this episode moving forward. We actually have <laughs> some unique things to do in this episode, even though it's at the end of the season. We're going to be going through not just like the typical because I kind of did this earlier on in uh, like last week or early in the week of going like, hey, who are the fantasy MVPs and who are the guys that played bad? Yes, we're going to do that, but we're going to use it also from an auction calculator standpoint. Uh, you know, we're going to be able to base it ADPs to earners. We're also going to be talking about overall big gainers and earners, some stat based ups and downs. Where in the season have we seen overall stats go? I created this kind of super player thing, just very easy math stuff of taking the, we'll talk about more, but taking the top 30 at every single category, averaging it out, and then finding the players that met that criteria and guys that might've been closer Hitters are a little bit tougher. The pitchers are pretty fascinating, and you can take that for whatever. You know, because we always have that um, going into each season. Here are the numbers that you want to accumulate in a roto. Here is what you're looking for. The goals. Yeah, this is kind of a player-based standpoint of here is We'll talk about how those goals should change and and how baseball changed this season, too. Exactly. That's what we're going to be doing. Uh, Also, we almost had no baseball yesterday on Monday. It would have been one of the few days, except... The Arizona Fall League did start up. We don't have to go crazy into it. And I know people, Arizona Fall League is my thing. I'm out here and I went and it was exciting. It's going to be going on all through November 11th, I think it is. You got some big players going and we had a big player go on opening day of the Arizona Fall League in Jackson Job. Though I had some differing opinions on his start than what publicly was out there because, you know, here's a cool new thing that the Arizona Fall League implemented this year is they're actually televising, I believe, a game every single day. It's one game, and it's going to be on, I think it's the MI, it's MILB or MI, MLB website. you got to forgive me for not knowing, because I'm here. Sorry, I'm here and I'm at well, the Well, MILB.TV and MLB TV are kind of linked, I think, even in terms of uh, subscribership. But I'm yeah, I think, and it's on one of, it's pretty, once you know what it is, I didn't look at it ahead of time, I apologize, but they are televising. And last night they televised the Salt River game, which I also found out about because uh, people tweeted me because they saw me on the thing. And I discovered I have to not sit back and just sit be straight. I was like, dude, <laughs> there's a picture somebody sent me. I was like, please scrub that from the internet. Oh my God, <laughs> what was I doing? So, th- so then the whole time I'm like sucking in and I'm like, okay, that's what I'm going to do in my video. I was terrified of how I looked. So I'm going to not eat for the next month. But your job analysis was fascinating to me because, you know, I, I am going to update the sheet with end of year numbers, but in my last numbers um, for low A that had Job in them, um, had he thrown enough to be considered a starter, he only threw 43 pitches per appearance. Uh, he would have had the number one stuff plus among starters uh, and also an average location plus. So, uh, you know, a guy like Thomas Harrington had really good stuff plus 99 location plus the pirates. Uh, Ricky Tiedemann shows up on our list. He had better location plus, um, you know, there's there's some guys, the number one guy for stuff plus Saul Garcia uh, in low a, uh, had an 87 location plus and seems that's, uh, very, very poor. Yeah. Um, well, you'd expect all these numbers to be lower considering it's low a, this lesser, lesser talent, but Job had, uh, average location plus and you, uh, the feedback I'm hearing from you is that you don't think you were watching average location. Plus yeah. So that night. was my big thing because there's a big love fest about Job last night. Like, Hey, it was a great appearance. And you know, he, he was pretty good. Through an RDA. Yeah, exactly. Uh, on top of, by the way, getting the uh, televised games, Salt River Fields, anytime a game is there, you can actually get stat cast data. So we have stat cast data from last night's game. He hit 98.3. I think he was, actually, I can look here. I think he was hitting, I think he was averaging 96. He was, are they giving me? Yeah, he was averaging 96.2 on the fastball. Um, he had nine swing and whiffs on 55 pitches. He had a really good whiff rate, 38%. Because when he was getting swings on the slider and changeup, people were not making contact on it. He had but command is how you get swings. So yeah, he had five of eight swings between the slider and changeup were whiffed on. His CSW percentage was lower, but here was my take on it. The but f- eight swings on fifty-five pitches is not uh, on the slider true. in the oh, on the changeup on the slider and the changeup. He had mm-hmm. twelve swings on the fastball, 
but only three whiffs. And that was my thing with this is the command look off. Though he had four strikeouts, the fastball was up and no one swinging at it in the beginning. And it kept, he, he was just like above the zone, like not even close above to the zone. zone. That's all he wanted to do all night. Like non-competitive ones too. There were some competitive ones that guys were sitting on, but there were some non-competitive ones. I filmed like every mm. single pitch I have, and I actually want to go back and break it down. I just didn't have time from last night to hear you and I could mm. you, to be honest with you, I want to do it with you, but we just <laughs> we wouldn't have been able to do it today. I wanted to go back through because it looked a little bit flatter than my expectation on it. And mm. let me see what the the spin was. I mean, 25, but this is a guy, his slider hit over 3,000. I mean, it's a big old, mm. you know, movement slider. But the command was just off. And in the second inning, he decided to go heavier fastball, and it worked. But then when he did it with the second time through the order, started getting hit hard. Brian Ramos hit a double for 103. So the only thing I'm coming back to on this week, I could go on a loop talking about one start for this guy with, there was a lot of buildup and everything for this, but the location wasn't as great. And I had said in a preview podcast I did on my show prospect one, I had said like, this is the guy that could have the biggest rise from the Arizona fall league, because there's a lot of big loopy swingers here. Guys like Aaron Sabato who strike out and hit two ten, And you know, there's just a bunch of these guys. He could pile up the strikeouts, but the only thing is, is he wanted that fastball up up, up. That's all he did. He did not move the fastball around the zone enough, at least that I thought. And it equated to an under 50% zone percentage on the fastball. And he just didn't get the swings. But the positive is the fastball still set up the other stuff he was able to get through, which wasn't a great start. And I will get to compare him against Ricky Tiedemann, who's pitching tonight as we were recording this. And that's going to be kind of the fun guys like he's a better command. Yeah. Jerpy actually also tonight, I don't know if this game will be televised. Jake Eater and Takoa Roby are going up against each other in the Ooh. same game. We're also going to see uh, Cooper Jerpy. So there's some actually good pitchers to kind of pit up against each other. But you mentioned Tiedemann as a guy with solid command. Uh, what was the command number? The 108. Yeah, 108. That's better than Job. It'll be interesting to see how these guys pair out. And that is stuff I will be continuously trying I also to share. I want to know the fastball velo for Tiedemann. Uh, yeah. I, a little bit up and down. He was in a good mood last night, too. I, I talked to him because I actually went over back to Surprise because I live right next to it and talked to him. And he was pretty jacked up about uh, pitching tonight. And that is where I will be. And I'll have some stuff on Twitter you can see. And hopefully that fastball is popping. We're just not going to get StatCast data, which is going to be... That's kind of lame. I would like it to get everywhere. But in the coming weeks... You know, viewership might be down tonight. Maybe not as many people passing around uh, Tiedemann stuff. But actually, maybe. you know, fantasy fans, uh, most of their most of their uh, teams are done, and so uh, now they have this uh, extra component of: Do I watch real baseball or do I watch players that'll be more relevant for my fantasy team well, next year? I have that too. The Diamondbacks are in the playoffs tonight, and I have to go to surprise and watch Tiedemann. So I'm going to be like phone and all that, and, uh, and but uh, it'll be fun. I'll be at my my son's little league game. Well, so you'll be doing uh, baseball then games. too, as well. I'll so be doing a two, bit. two baseballs. Yeah. Well, in a couple of weeks, uh, you know, DVR. And I will all be in person out here in the first pitch conference, which would be pretty great. Hopefully do a podcast. We'll all get to hang out together, talk about these players, do more breakdowns. And I will just be presenting the lead up to when you guys are all here and we'll see what that culminates to. So again, Arizona Fall League stuff. Whenever I'm here, we'll talk about it. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter if you would like to follow some of those things. I'm also doing like a live uh, notebook uh, that I have out there. We just everything I see, I'm writing every single start and different players. And I picked up a lot of stuff last night. So that's your little AFL look. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct TV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream direct TV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream direct TV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Let's talk about the season as a whole. 
you and I were talking about the fantasy MVP, the Cy Young, and then we've also going to do the, I don't know why it made me laugh so much, the Cy Yuck and uh, the um, fantasy suck. The fantasy Copyright MVP. Jason Stark. Yeah, Jason Stark. There you go. LVP. So, the LVP. So let's talk about the fantasy MVP because you and I, the big thing, we kept going back and forth about these for different reasons because I think what you have to do is, yes, Ronald Acuna is the MVP for what he did, but you've got to compare value in where you drafted these players to like the overall return dollars and stuff like that. And I think that changes up the names. We came across a couple different players and I'm going to throw up the top two that you and I were debating. And then I don't know if we came to an agreement. I came to a decision based on the auction calculator that I felt, but you and I were going back and forth about Matt Olson and Corbin Carroll both had ADPs within about 10 spots of each other, but they were in the forties and fifties. Matt Olson ended up having the second highest auction calculator dollar uh, return at 44. He actually had a higher dollar return than his ADP and he was a little bit lower. And Corbin Carroll had a 10 spot lower ADP and returned $37. Cause I kind of thought Corbin Carroll might be that guy without being obnoxious. Both of those guys, top five returns with um, ADPs in the forties and fifties. But then the big outlier, and this is the guy I'm going to go with, you know, is Cody Bellinger who ended up having the 11th best um, overall dollar amount and he had a 186 ADP according to fan graphs. And I think if you and I are going to be touting a fantasy MVP with value into consideration, I kind of think Bellinger's that guy if we don't tag Olsen or Corbin Carroll. Yeah, it's a it's a philosophical question almost because, you know, do you want your MVP to be in the top five? With fantasy, there's going to be some element of what did you pay for it, right? So is it cooler to get a, a top five player that you didn't pay a first round talent and first round price for? Is it cooler to get a top 15 talent that you didn't even uh, pay a top 10 round price for? Or is it cooler to get a top 30 guy that you got with your last pick in Josh Lowe? I mean, his his ADP was 400, uh, according to the, the auction calculator. Yeah. So really tapered off still, on the back end, though. He, he did, but he he turned returned twenty four dollars. Uh, you know, Cody Bellinger returned thirty one. This is a fifteen team five OF MICI two utility uh, setup. Um, you know, and and we got Cody Bellinger returning thirty one. I mean, that's seven dollars less, and two hundred and you know fourteen picks later. <laughs> so there is always this question of a of a sliding scale, but. Uh, I'm comfortable giving it to Cody Bellinger because just outside the top 10 for that low of a price, I think that captures uh, the essence of what we're going for most. Uh, just one thing that uh, that occurs to me is, and I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about always at the end of the season looking at, uh, at what's happened and uh, you know what I did in my leagues and uh, and and thinking about if I need to adjust and. Um, you know, I don't think that I'm going to come off of the idea that I want to bat in the first round. I, there's going to be yeah. some adjustment to my pitching process that we'll get to. But, um, you know, you got Ronald Acuna, uh, number one, and, and he was a first rounder. Mookie Betts, number four, he was a first rounder. Freddie Freeman. I, let me just do I'm just going to name out all the first rounders and where they went. Uh, Ronald Acuna, one. Freddie Freeman, three. Mookie Betts, four. Shohei Otani, six. Bobby Witt, seven, Julio Rodriguez, eight, Kyle Tucker, nine, um, and then Juan Soto, 14, Jose Ramirez, 19, and Trey Turner, 20. Uh, so you didn't really uh, do poorly. There is one that'll show up in our LVP discussion, uh, but it really looks like among the, the top, the first round bats, the worst you did is a top 20 guy other than the LVP <laughs> we'll get to. Um, so yeah, and I, I feel like that uh, I still in. want I a first round bat. You're buying floor as much as anything. You're buying into this, you know, uh, high, high, high floor, and it really did work out. First round bats did work out this year, and there's a lot of value in pitching. Actually, something when we talk just a tiny bit of my, I'm just calling it like the super players on all the averages. There was actually a lot more pitchers that got closer to the super player than it was the hitters. So you know those gaps start mm. to close a little bit, and you know the term that gets thrown around a lot, like the glob of pitching, the guys that are very similar, 
you know, that thing kind of gets thrown out and, and I see where it's going and, and we can t- talk about that. All right. So we're going to semi-agree that Cody Bellinger gets our lock there. Fantasy Cy. So the, the Fantasy Cy Young guy, the same like metric here is being um, put on all these players where there are guys with, you know, huge dollar returns. Garrett Cole was so much better than the next guy, but cost a top 15. There's actually... I think there's some bigger debate here because inside the top five dollars, there are three players or yeah, three players that are outside the top 100 and two that are outside the top 200. I settled on Blake Snell because of how ridiculously elite he was this year. Yeah. You want elite. I get it. Like elite elite. And he was outside the top 100, but boy, is there an argument to be made for Zach Eflin, who came in at a $21.9 return, which is only like about $3 or less than Snell, and he was a 271 ADP. Yeah. My man, uh, the Stuff Plus champion, Kyle Bradish, uh, came in fifth with uh, $21.50 and a, according to this, 317 uh, ADP. So, um, so, I mean, who do you, you give know, it to then? Again, we have this decision about like, do you want a top three pitcher that you paid just outside the uh, you know seventh or eighth round on, or do you want someone who you took all the way down to the bottom? I I am actually a little bit different on pitching than hitting. With pitching, I just like to get a top five pitcher three hundred plus. That's just obviously my guy. I'm definitely going with him as the the Cy Young fantasy Cy Young because. There's so many other pitchers you could have taken. You could have taken Snell and Bradish. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so much value, so great to have on your team to have a guy that you took near the end just be there all season for you. Yeah. You know, and just give you this much value. Like, I, uh, I have a slightly different take. And then, you know, I also have a take, uh, a slightly different take on, uh, you know, taking high pitchers. Which, again, I'm going to, uh, I have a little bit of a a softening of the stance, but high pitchers were hit and miss. Uh, you know, you've got Otani, Cole, Burns, and Strider. So with those four, the first four taken, you did well. The worst was Otani, 16 bucks, and you had him as a hit or two. But it it's not unquestionable that it was good. And if you happen to not get the top four, it really started to fall apart. I mean, Sandy Alcantara was the fifth guy taken. He had a negative value. Aaron Nola was the sixth guy taken. He was only worth six bucks this year. Brandon Woodruff was worth twice that, but still you took him as the seventh top pitcher and you got 67 innings out of that. Um, And then you can go to Dylan Cease at the 11th taken pitcher and he was worth minus $9. Christian Javier was 12th. He was worth minus. Shane Bieber was 13th. He wasn't even worth a dollar. Julio Arias was 15th. He was worth $3.80. Carlos Rodon was 18th. He was worth minus $13. And I haven't even mentioned the Cy Yuck yet. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah, <laughs> save that. That's an amazing so, number. So, you know, really, if you just look at the top 20, it's 50-50. Yes, the top four worked out. If you like, if you want to make a hard and fast rule there that like the top four are just going to be separate every year, uh, more power to you. But uh, Burns was up and down and you know it could have gone sideways. Sandy Alcantara I think was a consensus top 5 guy. So you're really going to draw the line there where you're just like, "Oh no, he was 5 but he wasn't 4." Uh, you know what I mean? It's like uh I think that top pitchers are way more of a uh even production risk um versus top hitters. 6 of the top 10 SP earners went overall 90 or later. So, I mean, that, yeah, that's, that's another way of saying it. Yeah. It's like, crazy. There's so much value later on. Yeah. We didn't even mention Justin Steele in the Cy Young conversation. Uh, Tarek Skubal, uh, you know, ended up 21st. Uh, Michael Waka, dude, like he was free. <laughs> he was um, free. He was hundred percent. There's yeah. a lot of free pitch. We're going to talk about a few more, a uh, few more of those guys here in a little bit. Let's talk about the fantasy LVP. And this was you and I were kind of like we were going through this and I was like, you know, I think I found it because we went in sort actually sort of by ADP. There's guys that are going to have negative values and stuff. 
but there is a massive standout when you sort by ADP this past year. You're looking at, just for argument's sake here, Trey Turner, you know, really bad start, kind of came back, still had a $26 return. He was taking two overall. That's not a good value compared to like 4.2 ADP Julio who returned 35. We're, we're going double digits. We're going double digits. Boom, boom, boom. Then we get to the teens and Mike Trout's four dollar return this year is sandwiched between i mean i'm gonna look here i don't think there's anybody else less than 18 in the top 20 there isn't anyone in the top 20 adp no one had less than 18 and we're talking 18 dollar return of machado bichette and guerrero and then you go down to four bucks on trout that's our fantasy lvp yeah there's no way around it i mean you can look down a little bit further. JT Real Muto was the 22nd player taken in NFC's drafts, and it was only worth $12.50. He kind of stands out there. Uh, but when it comes to catchers, uh, that's you know that's like a decent return. You know, like Dalton Varsha was taken 29th, and he only returned eight bucks. So uh, it's not like uh, you know there were just like tons of catchers that were amazing and you know returned all their value. So. Just a down year a little bit there. And then uh, I want to mention Jazz Chisholm uh, because he went 29th and it was only worth nine bucks um, uh, along with Varsho. Those could be on the LVP ballot, uh, perhaps. Uh, But we also got a mailbag question real quick here about Jazz Chisholm. We had a listener that was debating Jazz Chisholm and Christian Encarnacion Strand versus uh, Jackson Churio and Dylan Cruz. And uh, I, I just wanted to mention this because it's it's the kind of decision-making that we are going to have to make this offseason yeah. where, you know, I know that, uh, and, I, and, I, and I respect your, this, this sort of analysis that you had, Chris, that like, you know, don't worry so much about the very top uh, prospects about how long it's going to take him to get there because it, you know, there's a, a piece by... Um, I think it was uh, JJ Cooper on on or Matt Eddy on Baseball America just about how um, how quick people are going through the minor leagues now, and uh, and it's not it's not something we're making up. It's like it's definitely in the numbers. So uh, I kind of think that with these particular people, I just feel like Chisholm and Christian Encarnacion Strand are interesting young players that could still be top 30 players next year. However, they both do something that I don't love, which is strike out a lot. And jazz has now just been really tough on us in terms of just not being out on the field a lot. And, uh, that combination makes me think I'm going to take Jackson Churio or Dylan Cruz. I mean, if whichever one you, you think is a, is, is a better prospect or has a higher ceiling, I think it is Churio. And so, uh, if for the steals alone, so I'm going to take Churio out of that foursome. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm interested to see what you think. If you just had to keep them, I don't think we had additional information about rounds or whatever, but if you had to keep one of those four players, who would it be? Yeah, see, that makes it tricky because he is tech- the, the question does give us an out of picking two, and I think that makes this easier for me. If I had to pick one, that is tough because this is Jazz or Churio. I mm-hmm. think I lean Churio here because I really do believe that Churio's skill set, I mean, you know, placating aside, like he did something in the minor leagues. I think that like no one had done since Ronald Acuna and that, you know, we've had comps across the board on Ronald Acuna. He steals bases. He hits the ball really, really hard. He's made better decisions without striking out. And he has always been young at his level. He, this is star quality stuff. This is the type of guy that rockets up to being a top two round guy really quick. I mean, he, he's also deciding between a guy that I think is a kind of fun comp and Michael Harris, you know, Michael Harris could be a cautionary tale to people like, Oh, he had a good half of a season. And then we took him in the top two rounds in dynasty. Well, he kind of bounced back and recaptured oh, yeah, that great, top two or three dynasty half, value. Yeah. I think Churio's got that. The problem is jazz also has that, but jazz cannot stay healthy in every way he approaches, whether it's at bats or on the field, They've moved so him if you off could pick position. two, it would be Jazz and Churio? It would be Jazz and Churio. I'd kick CES. Pick, pick one of one box and one of the other? That's exactly what I would do. I would, I would pretty easily pick those two. I love Dylan Cruz, 
And I think actually Dylan Cruz, he's got some weird, um, I don't say weird, but they're doing like net stolen bases and they've got a few other kind of interesting stats putting together. I think Cruz actually might be the safest hitter of all these players, but he might have the offensive, he might have the lowest upside as far as like the counting stats that you're chasing here. So because he gets to pick two, it's easily Jazz and Churio for me. But he's right. The the question also kind of like lines in is he says, how do you weigh rookies in the campaigns and figuring out? And it's like, you've got to take chances here. Churio has the chance to be a, a top 10 pick within the next two years easy. Yeah. Jazz has not gotten there quite yet. I don't think Cruz and CES have that upside right now. And with, you know, stolen bait, I, I would be, this is pretty easy, Churio and Jazz. But personally, if I were only keeping five, I, I couldn't let go of Churio right now because I think he's breaking camp next year. I think they've done the Weimer experiment. I, I mean, he's, that I mean it's out. so close. If not, it's the next two week thing where they, you know, he's up, he's up, uh, you know, two or three. Yeah. Weeks if they want to manipulate like April 20 something, they, you could always yeah, manipulate that. that. But yeah, I, I think he's at best breaking this, camp and he didn't go to the Arizona fall league. I think like they want him to be rested and prepared. He'll probably play some in like the Dominican winter league. You're going to get your at bats. And I think they're going to push him hard. I mean, look at what Caminero is doing. I think his agent had yeah, shared. I can't believe he's already 14 up, so. months ago. He was in uh, Florida complex league and he's now playing yeah. in the playoffs with the Rays. So it's pretty phenomenal. The, uh, the other, another question that we got, um, you know, uh, from Martin Johnson on, on Twitter was, um, just that uh, he was asking about what stats are sticky year to year. And this is relevant in the Christian Encarnacion strand conversation, which is, um, you know, K percentage is super sticky year to year uh, and, and whiff percentage. So here's a guy with a 14 and a half percent swing strike rate and a 28.6% strikeout rate in Encarnacion strand. I think those things are going to port over to next year. Uh, barrel rate is sticky uh, year to year. Uh, but his 10.5% barrel rate is actually uh, around the league. It's 10%, you know, the league average or so is, is, is uh, wrong around 10% of ball ba- uh, batted balls. I forget if this is, yeah, this is batted ball. So it's not, it's not uh, way ahead of, of league average. And yes, he does hit the ball hard. He had a 112 or 111.8 max EV, uh, which is also stickier to year. Um, it, it it isn't the type of uh I'm not I'm not sure uh where the power will land it next year. Uh you know, if you just port him out, he could be a 26 homer hitter, but he could also be uh, a guy who hits 26 homers and hits 240 with that strikeout yeah. rate. The one thing that does not stick year to year is batting average uh or batting average on balls in play. So, yes, he had really high babbits in the minors, but those are bad defenses, you know, all sorts of things. So, um, you know, the over under for me is something like a 250 and 25 homers, which I just think is more replaceable if you're talking about him compared to Jazz and Churio, who are going to steal bases, um, or Dylan Cruz, who you'd hope would strike out less. I don't know he will, but you're you're hoping that he develops the ability to strike out less, uh, and that and he will have better OBP, better walk rates than than Encarnacion Strand. So yeah, and looking at like a player that doesn't look like they're going to put out like elite elite power numbers, and maybe doesn't have elite barrel percentage when the strikeout concerns, like I couldn't weigh that over dominant stolen bases in any way, like. Strand might not be any better stolen than bases for Churio. You know. Yeah. If you're looking at 40 stolen bases for either one of those guys, Cruz could be a 20 stolen base guy. If he decided to steal a bit more, but like strand could also not be much better than Jake Berger. You know, Jake Berger puts up like elite, you know, barreling and big hard hit numbers. He has batting average issues. That might be what, who he is, but these other guys you're talking top two round and you have to chase stolen bases this year. Well, very interesting, too, is the tease to my super players thing. When you hear what the average number across the top 30 stolen base guys ended up being. Uh, Since we're here, you wanted to talk about earners, and then we want to translate over to something that uh, Jason Collette had brought up. Were there any other earners that you wanted to bring? I know we talked about a whole bunch of them. I don't know if there's anything else super important as far as pitching or hitting wise uh, earner standouts for you. Uh, no, but I do, uh, I do want to transition a little bit to, uh, you know, what this means in the context of, uh, of how the league changed. Um, you know, uh, Jason Collette, uh, did, did some research, uh, comparing this year to last year and, um, he had homers up 12.5% over last year, steals up 41% from last year, batting average up 2%, runs per game up 8%. 
and strikeout rate up 1%. And that last one there, that second to last one, runs per game uh, 8%. That's the thing that I should have seen as obvious and didn't. That's the big thing I think I missed going into the season was I was in the minutia of like trying to predict who would benefit from this from the uh, the shift ban. the shift rules and and who might hurt from the clock and who's going to steal more bases and I really tried to get into the smallest things and I forgot that all these things are putting pressure on offense on pitchers you know what I mean like they're putting they're 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 friendly to offense and so therefore they're putting pressure on pitchers and so one thing I noticed when I looked at the uh, at just qualified uh, ERA guys. Uh, this year, uh, we had 11 guys qualify for the ERA title with an ERA under 330. And last year, that number is 24. And so that was what I was presaging earlier when I was saying top pitchers are still a risk and I don't really want a first-round pitcher. I have to balance that with the fact that I do need to maybe invest more in pitching at the top. The the, the league that I won uh, uh, the easiest was uh this year was a league in which it was a 12 team league without an mi and a ci and only three three outfielders right and so in that league i went hard on pitching there was keepers it's complicated but once we came in the draft i think my first three picks were were pitchers and uh i i added logan webb and luis castillo uh to my otani keeper and yeah you could say oh you just won because you had otani as a keeper but uh, it was really important to add Castillo and Webb. And in fact, I got glass now. So I think I added three pitchers in my first four picks coming out. And that's the kind of magic that I want to access again, even in NFBC leagues, where I find the way to pick a lot of pitching up top, get those innings, get some guys who are going to be in that 330 club, you know? But still get my first round bat. So if there's some way that I can play that game, maybe take, I know the fifth pitcher didn't work out this year, but let's say, you know, other years, the top five pitcher does work out. Maybe take the fifth best starting pitcher in the second round and then hit again in the fourth and the fifth, you know, and try to maybe get a bunch of pitchers at the top. The offense is going to be there. We just, I just, just gave you all the numbers. All the offense is up. So if I can get that first round bat, and add a bunch of pitching around it, that might be my strategy going forward. Um, you know, most of the leagues where I did better, um, I did better on uh, on that side. The other, the other thing I learned, uh, I had this crazy thing happen in my main event where uh, I think it was eight weeks into the season, we were uh, like 730th out of 790 major, uh, main event teams. Uh, and last in our in our league. I mean, it just looked lost. I could have easily, we could have easily said, <laughs> ain't our year. We battled back and we streamed and we did everything we could. And every week we looked at the wire and we did our best. We ended up third. Wow. We ended up in the top third, 33% too of, of main event teams. So we, that we did that all with, uh, with work. And so, you have to think about that too when you're drafting is what can I get off the wire? What will be there for me? And how can I how can I develop this team so that it's ready for that? And the weirdest part was our ratios got better while we were streaming, uh, which means that they were probably pretty bad to start with. <laughs> and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Ever try to break a bad habit and feel like you're climbing Everest in flip-flops? We've all been there, but here's a breath of fresh air. Fume. It's not about giving up, it's about switching up. Fume takes your habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. 
It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Start the year off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash barrels, getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use our code barrels to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Start the good habit at tryfume.com slash barrels to save 10% off the journey pack today. But also there were some, <laughs> and I, but there were some pretty dang good uh, streaming options this year of players that were after, th- I mean, obviously Cole Reagans, Tariq Skubal, Michael King was someone towards the back. I mean, there were and some And we streamed great- Cole Reagans and then we just kept him. Yeah. yeah so there's there, there a streaming and then you just keep the streamer. So like just thinking, I think that like, you know, one thing that is out there, I think that what I've learned from the streaming thing is one thing that's out there for you are runs and strikeouts. That's that's going to be out there. So I don't know that that means that I want to take a low strikeout ace, but if the strikeouts are out there, I have to factor that into what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you have to know what you can stream your way into and what you can't. Um, and so those are the things that, that I learned from my, my various teams is um, I do want to invest a little bit more in pitching, even if I still believe in first round bats. And uh, I have to know that I will stream to some effect. So my last five picks may be total shots in the dark. You know, I would love to take, you know, the hype will be too high on Jackson Churio, but I'd love to take a prospect or two in those last five picks and just be like, maybe this guy makes the team, you know, otherwise that's going to be a streaming spot anyway. Yeah. And that, and that was uh, something that people would have picked up a couple months back when you and I were kind of going through this of being like, Hey, why not at this point? Like, if there's a guy that's at double A that even finished at double A and is a really big talent, you should consider that. Wyatt Langford with the Rangers. That's someone you guys should all yeah, consider. He might be up next I year. I think dude. he could that's break crazy. camp with that team. Dylan Cruz could break camp with that team. Uh, a guy like Ricky Tiedemann getting his innings up. He's dicey because of the missed innings and how much can they push him this year. But like taking a shot on some of these hitters, maybe a few pitchers in lieu of knowing that you can just push to streaming options is probably a good idea. You know, something I definitely picked up. I because I completely agree with what you said on pitching uh, was also just the relief pitching market of how expensive relief pitching. It's always been a battle between get your closers now and then the I'm going to just wait and stream closing market. I think those two always battle each other. NFBC stuff. We see like relievers going like the 20s and stuff like that because people don't want to screw around. But I mean, take a look uh, going back as our auction calculator here, the top 10 dollar close listen to some of these guys number one and two okay felix batista and devin williams you're fine you paid for those yeah number three tanner scott number four (laughs) david bednar number five oh by the way those two are big stuff plus wins oh um what scott and bednar yeah this one isn't alexis diaz has a has a funky fastball but outside the top 180p camilo duvall and mm-hmm. hater were in there but then eight evan phillips nine craig kimbrell and then 10 stuff was plus, emmanuel classe so you paid for him but you you got your floor at least i mean yeah. you're not you're not you didn't lose your season because he ended up 10th instead of second or whatever but also playing in the middle of the closing department like if you want to get your get your elite guys because what did we see we saw the elite of the elite guys show up in that list but then we also then just the, saw absolute waiver bottom. wire fodder. Yeah, I mean, the only guy that was in the middle that ended up in the middle was maybe, could you say Alexis Diaz and Joan Duran? Yeah, it, like he was ranks. in the middle area. Yeah, but like the middle, like Andres Munoz was like a huge disappointment this year. That didn't work out. Um, Rysel Iglesias was in there. He was like 14th ooh, on ooh. there. Yeah, I really didn't want to take those pitchers. Yeah. Ryan Presley had a $6 ones. return. Where's Kenley Jansen? Kenley J- yeah, he was another one of those middle guys. He's not even on this list, this fan graphs list that we're looking at. Uh, he's not on the first Crazy. page, at least. He is uh, 46. He had a 996 return <laughs> under a dollar. That's crazy because it's all saves. He didn't look good anywhere else. Yeah, but, you know, I look at like Yannir Cano, who didn't close the whole year. He had a $3 return and... He looks mighty, mighty good. I just said all that, and it's like I'm probably going to want him because Batista's having Tommy John surgery out the whole year. He might be the closer, and that'll be someone I want to invest in. But I think it's just like just wait, and you can get a lot of streaming options or take the top. Maybe you guys already know that, obviously. You just don't want to get somebody. Yeah, you want to get some. I think you want to get somebody. 
you know, in the top five and then take a real long break and then just get like two, two or three guys later. But like the guys that do the wheel closers, like I don't, I'm not interested in the wheel closer thing anymore. Like not that I ever really was, but like if you're on the wheel and you just double tap closers. Oh, double. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, we're not double tapping. And so that was something. Well then, then how are you going to invest hard in starting pitching? Right. Yeah. You just, you just. That one of the places where you take a starter, you just took a reliever. Yeah, I did that in AL League this year, where I was I I like I did it last two years, and I double tapped closers in an AL only league, and I, even more so why I wouldn't do that because then it was you know I was hurting my starting pitching, and look at all these guys that end up popping up in here. One thing I wanted to note back on the stats that Colette mentioned, I do think it's interesting. After the first month, I want to say he posted that stolen bases were up like. 90% or just some absurd number. And it did stabilize down to still an absurd number. I would just remember it was mm-hmm. bonkers in the first month and it stabilized down to what is still in absolutely insane. Can you repeat those numbers one more time? Do you have those on what the overall homers homers up 12 and a half percent steals up 40.9 uh, batting average up 2.1% runs per game up 7.9% strikeout rate up 1.3%. Do you personally at all feel that, those are pretty big gains on homers and stolen bases. Do you think because stolen bases are up so much, there's so much more in the market that you would prioritize maybe homers a little bit more? Or do you think the opposite end, because we're seeing some elite, elite stolen base guys that you would now want to prioritize those stolen bases because there is more in the market? I don't know. I took my middle of the line approach uh, with stolen bases and mostly got middle of the line results in stolen bases. Um, I think that's okay. It it is all about what happens in terms of people spend on it. Um, If people uh, decide not to spend on it, then maybe just rack it up. It's a category like any other, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure how people will react to this. Um, but, uh, I don't, you can't ignore it, but I still, you know, one thing that we've said over and over on rates and barrels is that we just don't believe necessarily in, in no power steals only guys. I, I those guys make me super nervous. So wherever I get my steals, I would want it with power. Well, uh, can I share this with you? Can I share my little super player thing? What would oh, have yeah, been yeah. the best thing I could have done? I just didn't have time to do it. Would have been do what this was last year. And I think we compare. could speculate. Yeah, I really want to compare on it. But this is what this year looked like. So here was the super dummy formula that I put together. What This is something I would do, not, you know, you know, be like, you know, all the great stuff. I'm like, okay, I take each category that we would play in and I take the top 30 producers. And then I average that out and I average out the numbers to get what does the super player look like? This is very simplistic to what are the average categories you want as far as winners in your leagues? I want this many stolen bases, this many homers. I did four categories of pitching and I'm going to do like losses if you guys do that. But I did ERA wins, uh, whip and strikeouts. And then I did for hitting, obviously, the big major five. So this is what, and I'm going to put up on the screen here for anybody that's watching on YouTube, youtube.com slash rates and barrels. This is what the average, if you take each of the top 30 leaders in each category would look like. This player hits 35.7 home runs, scores 100. You haven't put it up yet. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was going to say it all and then I'll put it up. But uh, 35.7 home home runs, 105.5 runs. 103 RBI. Um, I don't think I put, uh, I messed up stolen bases, not writing it there, but stolen bases, 34, 34. with a 294 batting average. So that's what, so I'm going to guess that player last year, the homers, the, with the homers up 12% and the stolen bases up 40%, you could probably just do some simple math if you wanted that the homer total would probably look closer to around 32. That would probably bring the run in RBI totals down to probably closer to 100. Mm-hmm. But then the stolen base number by 40%, you're probably looking closer to the 20s and then batting yeah. averages, whatever. So that's what this player I mean, looks now like. Now a star player is the 330-30 guy. Yeah. So how many players did this this year, Eno? How many do you think? Three. One. One player hit this qualification. Acuna. Ronald Acuna, that's the only player that hit this qualification of all across the board. There was one player that was super close. They just missed it by the stolen bases. They hit the homers, the run, the RBI, and the batting average. Do you know who that player was? Why am I not thinking of him? 
It's got to be obvious. It's very obvious. Who is that? Mookie Betts. Oh, Mookie. Yeah. Mookie. Mookie. Was, I forgot that he hit 38 homers this year. He was yeah. the close or to more, more super that, player. Uh, I could have probably gone down the list and given you a whole bunch. There were two others that I felt that were within real close range of this, and they missed just by a couple little notches. The two players were Julio Rodriguez, who was mm. three homers off, two runs off, one RBI away. He hit the I mean, stolen bases, and he was like, he looks like this. .20 off on the batting average. He was super close to the super player. Uh-huh. Number two, Freddie Freeman. He was wow. six homers off, a little bit more, but he nailed the runs. He was one RBI off. 11 stolen bases, but remember, first baseman got it, and he demolished the batting average. So those Mm -hmm. two players were close to the super player. Hey, no shocker, these are all first-rounders, but I still think, like, Freddie Freeman outside the top five is like a monster this year. They almost accomplished my offensive superpower number, but doesn't this look crazy inflated? I mean, like I said, probably last year this is closer to a 30-20 guy with less run in RBIs, and the offensive production have made almost... 35, 35 guys, but the Where stolen are you bases. Freddie Freeman next year. I think I'm five year old. I think I'm taking him probably top six. Sure. I think so. I think so. Top it's eight, maybe aging, once I really get through it. Bone in me just, but he, you know, I think I, I think it was Sam Miller had this great piece about uh, players that kept beating their projections like over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the examples was Dansby Swanson, who just kept getting a little better over time, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, the other one was Freddie Freeman and mostly it's not necessarily, I mean, yes, he's, he's gotten better over time, but also he just hasn't aged, you know, like in Atlanta in 2013, he was 50% better than league average. 10 years later, he was 63% better than league average. (laughs) I agree. That's he beat wild ev- to me. He beat every single one of his five counting categories this year over last year. And it'll be 34 all next year. So I think I'm still going to be pretty hyper aggressive. Oh, it's a 34 all next year. He just, he turned, just 34. turned 34. Okay. Yeah. 21 days older. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have a hard time with the falling knife syndrome of like, I don't want to be the one catch it on the way down. I just don't, I don't know if we're quite there. And he literally beat every single category and he's just such a advantage positionally as well. And where you have to really chase those stolen bases to get kind of the elite side of it, he still gets you there. He's one of those unique, like Matt Olson's incredible. Don't get me wrong. That's elite, elite power, but, but it's, it's a, a, but it's a more traditional first base package, you know? Yeah. Where this is like, I have batting average. I have elite batting average, elite run, elite RBI. And I'm not, I'm not elite falling stolen. that far behind in home runs, you know? Not really. Like you got 29 homers this year. Yeah. And you can pick it up. In I guess spots. that's the one category that, you know, if I do draft him next year, I think that there's a possibility he hits between 20 and 30 homers, like anywhere. He could hit 21. He hit 21 in 2022, you know, like he's kind of an oppo guy, you know. What if the ball's a little bit, you know, less bouncy or doesn't, you know, a little bit more drag or whatever it is that it changes every year. And uh, some of those oppo homers don't fall for him. And he hits 20 homers next year, steals 15 bases and hits 325. He'll still have a ton of runs. Ton of RBI. That'll be fifteen, more, like yeah, you know, be like twelve more stolen bases than your average uh, first baseman, and he'll blow the all the first baseman out of the water in, in batting average. And so you'll get all these advantages, and you'll still get twenty one homers as long as you, as long as you like say in your head that he's not necessarily a power threat, and that you in some other place get a little bit more power, maybe get a catcher that has a little bit more power or something like like you could pair him with one of those catchers like Cal Raleigh. Right. Where you're like, okay, my catch is going to hit 220, but he's going to hit 30 homers. If I smush Cal Rowley and Freddie Freeman together, bam, like that's a normal package. Yeah. I mean, you could probably make the argument to like Kyle Schwarber. You know, Kyle Schwarber is going to fall back and you're going to get elite, elite homers. It just really hurts you in the batting average. But you could pair those uh, guys together. Um, the interesting thing we don't have yet, I'm going to watch with the, the shift in the base situation. We also don't know what the age decline to stolen bases is going to look like like over time. Cause something you could argue with like a bigger first base type getting older, will he stop running? But I don't think we have any type of proper data until we see three or four, at least three or four years that 
you know, will that advantage of space between the bases help guys not lose those stolen bases as they get older? You know, Whit Merrifield had more stolen bases. You know, that's not something I think we can project to decline. So I don't know. I think Freddie Freeman is kind of a, a safety net. So I'm very. Yeah. Indifferent. Yeah. And, you know, despite batting average going up to 2%, uh, it's still it's still not uh, the healthiest stat in the world. Uh, median batting average in my NFBC leagues was around 255 uh, for the, a 15 teamer. Uh, let me just check that one more time against this one. Uh, yeah, 255, 256 uh, is median batting average uh, for these. Uh, I just smushed Schwarber and Freeman together, uh, and this year they would have hit 267 together with 76 homers and 23 stolen bases and 239 runs and 206 RBI. Hello. So that Hello. actually that works pretty well. The, Freddie Freeman buys you that that one sort of get out of jail free chip for later where you're like, ooh, this guy's only problem is bad batting average. I'm taking him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, here is the super pitcher. This one looks a little bit more average and it's 13.4 wins. So again, I did the same thing. Top 30 in each category, averaged it out. 13.4 wins, a 3.4 ERA, which is, I believe, like you were talking earlier about the 24 guys the year before that had done a 3.3, and this year it was like 10 or 12. Well, 3.4 actually ended up being what this the super player would be, a 1.14 whip and 202 strikeouts. It's actually kind of average-ish. Wow. But but 202 strikeouts is probably the, the limiting factor here. It is. It takes there, some were people out of it. there were actually only two pitchers that hit this marker, this exact marker here. And I obviously I took off one category, which maybe is cheating. Uh, he did not. A fun fact, he didn't even get into the super close territory either because of the um, the ERA went up. I actually think he might Cole. actually now I'm thinking he might be in the, the one, but he did not make this one. Only two pitchers hit this criteria. Cole is one. Yes. You actually Cole mentioned the other guy earlier. Snell. Nope. Whip. Because Whip of... kills Snell. Oh, Whip, yeah. You, you mentioned him earlier as a big key. A.L. West. Radish? Uh, nope. I'll give it to you. Luis Castillo is the only other oh, guy with Garrett Cole that wow. hit this marker. And I took Luis Castillo in an early mock as a third SP. That's how good he's been. Um, so yeah, I hit the 13.4, 3.4 ERA, 1.14 whip and over 200 strikeouts. He hit that marker. Here were the close guys. And you already mentioned a couple of them. Snell hit three of the four categories, but the whip was too high. Kevin Gossman hit three of the four categories. Whip mm. was too high. Kodai Senga hit three of the four. Mm. Whip was too high. So he made that marker. Do you think he's? Do you think he's just gonna do what he did this year again? I, there's something that makes me a little nervous about. What him. do you mean? Like, like it's the 11 percent walk rate. Oh well, I mean, yeah. Are you saying like he's just gonna throw the same mix and we're gonna just have walks through the roof, or is he gonna stop throwing something? I mean, I think I mean, he he's a gonna four Sierra. You know, like. Yeah, but also look at like the think of the adjustments that had to happen. I mean, I'm trying to pull this up live here, but. What was the second half? What were the second half Senga numbers compared to the first half? Because, I mean, the whip is going to be... I mean, also, Snell just was one of the most elite pitchers yeah, for like a got, five he whip. He did get better. He, uh, got, he went from a 331 to a 258 ERA. Yep, there you go. Wobo was I down did. by, you know... His walk rate went down from 12.3 to 9.6. Yep. Keep going. Any more? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he got he better. Was, he was pretty dang good. Um, four more players in the almost made it category. Justin Steele hit three of the four, but he missed the strikeouts. This, this is one I'm not betting on for next year. Yeah. And I mean, 3.4, do you like, when you look at that number right there, do you think it's going to be a big miss across the board on Steele? Um, here's what I think is he's going to have a walk rate regression. And uh, we saw in the second half that he was a 3.62 ERA guy, uh, and uh, part of that uh, was actually homers, not walk rate. Um, I don't know. I just uh, I don't I don't. It's a you know one of the things that stuff plus misses misses on is two pitch pitchers. This guy's a two pitch pitcher, you know, and so 
I don't want like why am I going to say that oh this two pitch pitcher is going to beat all his peripherals where where all the other two pitch pitchers have been lesser than their peripherals. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Outside so, of Strider, uh, yeah, I, yeah, right. Like Strider this year was was worse than his peripherals. He was worse than his stuff plus. Um, and he's a two pitch pitcher. Ashcraft is a lot of two pitch pitchers that underperformed. He's this is the one that that overperformed. So. Um, I'm just going to say that uh, I think of him as like a, a number two uh, at best. Uh, the There are three other guys that just missed it. Zach Wheeler just missed this by ERA, a 3.61. He's per- perennially underrated, I feel He's like. Super underrated. That's exactly what I pulled out of this. And then two guys missed it by strikeouts, Verlander and Kirby. They hit the other markers, but they missed it by because Verlander, only 144 strikeouts, Kirby 172. So any bump would get them into that area. Just miss Kirby's Kirby's going to be, I think, in my top 15 next year. I think so. And I think ranking Kirby against Verlander will be really interesting um, just because Verlander's 21.5% strikeout rate is the worst he's had since 2015 when he was injured. Um, and uh, he's 40 years old. He's going to turn 41 at the beginning of the season. Uh, and he's going to pitch deep into this playoffs, possibly. So uh, I might have Kirby ahead of Verlander next year. I think so. I think he's like the only major league or two that's older than me uh, at this point. Uh, Verlander, Kirby. There were a couple guys that were. Rich Hill said he's coming back. Okay, never mind. Be for so the second half of the season. He's next never going to retire. He's the only. He's the only major that hears the same age. As me. <laughs> Affectionately, he's the roach of MLB. He's just never going to yeah. go away. Somebody will somebody will be like, well, we need some spot starts, and he only wants a million bucks, so come on. Yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, there were three guys that were close in kind of a multiple categories. Uh, Merrill, Merrill Kelly, Kyle Bradish, mm. and Logan Webb. They were very close, like almost hit all the markers um, across the board. And then there were three guys, and you can comment on any of these, that were pacing to be able to do this. Michael King, Tariq Skubal, and Tanner Bybee. All in the close range I think Yuri Perez was there and I had pulled up glass. Now I think glass now was kind of close. And again, I could have kind of kept going. I'm, I'm just giving you guys extras here, but uh, Kelly Bradish Webb were the next closest group to being like one off. And then Michael King, Scooble and Bybee were standouts that look like they Kelly were pacing to make this. There's something uh, familiar. There's something similar about them in that neither one of them has an amazing fastball but command a really good secondary pitch that they play off of i mean it's not the same kind of pitch but something interesting there uh i would put glassnow king and scoobel in a in one category which is extremely tantalizing extremely interesting love them going to be on every you know sleeper list going into the season have been in the past and will be again and extremely high pitching uh, injury risk, I feel like. Yeah, I think I agree. Scoobles coming off an injury. Glasnow is coming off an injury. Maybe Glasnow, like maybe people will forget because Glasnow had one of his better innings totals. Uh, Michael King had a fractured elbow uh, the other day from the other year from pitching. So, uh, and he's going to be uh, doing a big innings bump. So, all three of those guys are guys that I like that I'd put the over under at like 110 innings and uh, buy them accordingly. If I could get them as my third pitcher uh, or fourth pitcher so that I had some horses ahead of them, I'd like it. But uh, inevitably what I end up doing is picking those injury risks a little bit too high and then being like, dang, where'd all my innings go? (laughs) Well, I think you can also ask, Hey, where did my innings go in general? Five pitchers went over 200 innings this year. That was it. So, you know, that marker of what you need has lowered. And I think 170, 175 looks like a really good number to hit at this point based on averages. So, you know, 120 is the new 140. So you can just kind of keep moving that up. Yeah, 175 gets you in the top 30. Uh, 150 gets you in the the top 60. So Mm. if you think about that, if you're in a uh, 15-team league, 160 innings would be your SB4 just on innings alone. You know, obviously there's all sorts of other things to think about. But uh, that means that your fifth starting pitcher is going to have less than 150 innings 
That's kind of crazy. It is kind of crazy. Well, this, these are fun experiments. A good talk. As far as my little super player thing, I'm gonna. I'm. I might make this into an article because I want to pair it against last year, and I need to add more names. <clears throat> this is something I was working on today. But it was a good look across the board, talking about the earners on the year, talking about some MVP stuff, talking about where the league offensively has changed and what are some of the markers of the elite of elite players. Those are a lot of guys that we're going to want to be paying attention to. Not going to be a lot of sleepers there. And also never say never. I'm not going to say this is my last episode. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> Hopefully I'm back no matter what. But We'll like, get you back in the AFL. Yeah, whatever's sure. going on. And thanks here, for whatever's. everybody that reached out and uh, and shared their successes this year. Uh, it's been a pleasure helping you win and uh, uh, hope for more success in the future. That's right. It's been a great time hanging with you guys. I believe uh, layover next week, DVR coming back. And all the great stuff here on Rates and Barrels. Make sure you go to theathletic.com slash Rates and Barrels. Get a subscription so you are locked in the whole season. It is not crazy expensive and it is very, very worth it. So go and do that today. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss when the podcast drop. And youtube.com slash Rates and Barrels so uh, you can see the faces. You can see all the stuff. You can see the things that go up there. Thank you guys, as always, for hanging out. Hopefully your season was awesome. I will talk to you in the AFL and hopefully Eno is well soon. For Eno, I'm Welsh. We'll talk to you next time right here on Rates and Barrels. Bye, friends. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.